The Bible is a collection of stories about a greater story. About the Son of Man, fully human, who was tempted and tried in the desert and found to be true. Of a miracle man, the Son of God, fully divine, who walked on the waters and calmed the stormy seas. Who willingly climbed the hill to his death, gave his life on the cross, bled and died for our sins and the salvation of a broken world. And we who believe are his church, his vessel of light and love to a needy people, we wait, hoping expectantly for the return of our Lord, our King, our Jesus. Good morning, City Lights Church. Man, I love that song. Uh, the last song they just did. How many of you ever have felt like God's just taking some chains away from you? Whatever it may be. Yeah, it's so good, man. It's so good. Yeah, celebrate, celebrate. Hey, if I've not met you, my name is Peyton. I'm the lead pastor here at City Lights Church, and uh, we're so glad that you're with us today. I know there are a lot of other places that you could be, and so we just want to say thank you for being with us. We're so encouraged by what God is doing, and um, we are so thankful that you chose to be here with us today. Um, We're in this series called uh, the Jesus Series, and we know that's probably like the most clever name ever, so we uh, want to thank you for giving us that uh, most artistic, creative uh, award there. But we're in the series called the Jesus Series, and basically what we're doing is, uh, we're only in today's part two, so if you missed last week, you can catch every service. We record it live on our podcast, citylightsac.org, so you can always catch up there. It's mobile-friendly as well, but we're basically in the series where we are discovering the truths about Jesus, where we are challenging cultural assumptions, and we are uh, basically trying to squash tradition. And what I mean when I say things like that is in the South, and more specifically in East Tennessee, more specifically in Anderson County and Knox County and surrounding, a lot of times our biblical values, our biblical beliefs come from what we heard as a kid or what uh, our granddad said or what our dad said or what our uncle said. And we're just trying to squash those and just really get to the truth. And as this video mentioned that there is, you know, 66 books in the Bible. You've got Genesis through Revelation, but there is one singular story that runs from the beginning to the end. And so there are thousands of stories in the Bible, but there is one that it points to. And so from the Old Testament forward, it points to the cross. From the New Testament to now, it points back towards the cross. It's all about Jesus. Never could it be anything more Never, ever could it be anything less. So as we dive into this series as a church, we're just trying to figure out what are the truths that Jesus spoke about. There are some things that are very bold that he said. And a lot of things you'll see is this, uh, pertaining to Jesus, that, um, that since the whole story, the whole book points towards him, you may read some scriptures that not, are not necessarily something that Jesus spoke himself, but everything points to him. Today, that's going to be the case. We're going to read some scriptures that Jesus didn't specifically say. Uh, but it will point towards the message of him. So as you think about church life, you think about uh, traditions, there's nothing wrong with them, assumptions. How many of you, even right now, if you're here this morning, you're not really a Christ follower, that's okay. Uh, but how many of you growing up or, you know, you had this perception of church that there were those people and then there were us? Like those people could either be Christians or the not Christians. Well, it's very funny that that happens. Uh, it kind of reminds me of like, you know, basically there's, we're, we're all the same. You do know that. We're all the same. We're, we have different problems, different issues, but we're all the same. It's basically like a coin. There's one coin, but two sides to the coin. It kind of reminds me of like, how many of you felt like the Simpsons growing up? 
Okay, so the rest of y'all felt like his neighbor, the Flanders. Well, y'all at the wrong church then. You're at the wrong church if y'all felt like Ned. It's like that. There's these two complete opposites. It really, what it feels like when it comes to church, you've got the Flanders who are teetotalers, and you've got Homer over here who's basically about to kill his kid. And that's humanity, really. There's these two different, there's these two different sides of how our lives look, but there's so much common ground between us all. And one of the things that we're going to see this morning, we're, we're in part two, and we're talking about from Adam to Adam. And I'll explain that title a little later. It may not make much sense to you right now, but hopefully it'll spark a little interest, and I'll explain that to you. But we're talking about the importance of life, regardless of if you look like the Simpsons or if you look like Flanders, which everybody listens to the podcast, I just want you to know that City Lights Church is filled with a bunch of Tan Flet, Ted Flander people in here, or Ned Flanders, whatever his name is. So I guess I'm the only Simpson in here that feels like an outcast. But we are talking about how God is placed in uh, all of humanity, whether you are a teetotaler, you're by the books, or whether you're a wild child, a rebel without a cause. God has placed in humanity a moral and spiritual compass. Does that make sense? He's placed something in us that is the greatest value that has, there is no other creature like what we have inside of us. And either way, no matter how you feel about your life or your, your upbringing, or let me just tell you the truth here. I, what I'm fixing to read is for Christians only. So if you're here this morning I'm not, and you're not a Christian, I'm not trying to single you out. But these pieces of Scripture that we're fixing to read are just for Christians. When you think about how God has placed a spiritual and moral compass in all of humanity, but specifically, if you are in Christ, you should know that every life matters regardless of what it looks like. Agreed? Every life matters. Listen to what the Apostle Paul said as he wrote to the church in Corinth. This is where we get the book 1 Corinthians chapter 6. He said, don't you realize, he's, he's writing to Christians here, he said, don't you realize that those who do wrong will not inherit the kingdom of God? Now, many of you are like starting to feel guilty right now. You're like, dang it, so I don't get to go to heaven because I did wrong this morning. I cut somebody off. I gave them the number one sign. Hold on, let's wait till we read the rest of the scripture here. He said, don't fool yourselves. Don't fool yourselves. Listen, those who indulge in sexual sin, who worship idols, or commit adultery, or are male prostitutes, or practice homosexuality. Now, I want to just, I know this is weird. Um, some translations said the male prostitutes, and this is why. So what you see here, look, in just these alone, you've got adultery, prostitutes, homosexuality. You must understand this, that sexual sin was running rampant in the church of Corinth. Those people were jacked up. You know what I mean? They were messed up. There was just all kinds of orgies and crazy things going on. And, and so that's why Paul mentions these. And it's interesting that he mentions these first. And, but I want you to, it may be really easy to say, all right, Paul said, the, the people who don't do wrong, then he begins to list these examples, won't inherit the kingdom of God. Don't miss out on it just yet because some of you are thinking, okay, I'm not an adulterer. I'm not a prostitute. Thank goodness that's not me. Listen to what Paul says. He says, those who practice homosexuality, verse 10, or are thieves, or are greedy people, or drunkards, or abusive, or cheap people, none of these will inherit the kingdom of God. So is Paul saying, okay, if I stole from Kmart when I was seven years old, does that mean I'm not going to heaven? That's not what he's talking about here. In fact, go to verse 11. We'll unpack a little bit more. He says, notice the passivity in the language here. He says, some of you were... Once like that. But you were cleansed. You were made holy. 
You were made right with God by calling on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Here we see what we talked about a minute ago. It feels like there's those people who practice all this sin, and then there's us who are cleansed and holy. And the bigger picture here is this, not to focus on exactly what Paul said, because listen, you may not be an adulterer, and you may have never stole anything, but have you ever went out to eat and not tipped a waiter or waitress as much as you should have? That makes you greedy. So the, the point is this, we are, though, we are, everybody is those people. Don't get caught up just because you, you haven't practiced, uh, you know, sexual and moral things. Paul says that some of you, you used to be like that. So what I'm getting at is this, there's this big transition, uh, this gap of like, when you used to be this way, the moral mindset is what he's talking about here, okay? The moral mindset, uh, apart from God, because if you're in Christ, you know that even if you're a Christian, you're going to stand and make mistakes. You're not perfect. He's talking about the mindset here, living this way. But he says, some of you, you were once like that. How many of you? Look, but you were cleansed. It's so important that you understand. He, he uses this word for, uh, excuse me, he uses the word were four times to his indication of this, like the passivity. Like, you don't do anything on your best day to make yourself right before God. God does that. You were. It does not say you do, you are, you did. You were cleansed. You were made holy. And so, isn't that good news that for those of us who are in Christ, it's good news for those who want to be in Christ, that God is able to take any life and make it an extraordinary life, regardless of what your past is. That's good news, right? Because we all have a past. And some of us are still living pretty jacked up. So the point here is that God can take, no matter what your sin is, no matter what your rebellion is, no matter what your hurt, habit, or hang-up is, God can take it and wash it away. Therefore, it's so important that we understand that every life, every life is important. God places something in humanity that he doesn't give to, every other, to any other creature, the spiritual, the moral compass. How many of you have ever watched National Geographic or Discovery Channel? And what happens when you see the little cute little gazelle? eating out in the field, and the camera pans, and here comes this lion. What's it do? <laughs> right? And eats it alive. How many times have you ever watched that happen on National Geographic or Discovery Channel, and then 30 minutes later, it pans back to the camera, and while that lion's licking the blood off his paws, he's thinking, man, I really shouldn't have done that. That's kind of messed up that I killed that beautiful gazelle. And You don't ever see it happen because... Animals don't have the same gifts, if you will, that God puts in humanity. How many times, how many times, any dog owners out there? Any cat owners? You bunch of weirdos. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> I knew I was going to say that. I had it written down. I don't mean. I used to have a cat. But I thought it was weird, so I got rid of him. That's not true. That's not true. That's not true. Some of you are thinking, okay, yeah, maybe, maybe a lion doesn't have a conscience, or maybe he doesn't feel bad, but there's times where my dog has used the bathroom on the floor, and I walk up to my dog, and I start scolding, and what does a dog do when you do that? Bows its head, right? And you're thinking, oh, he knows what he's done, or she knows what she did. Well, the reason that he or she is doing that is because they don't want you to beat the crap out of them. It's not because they feel bad about what they did. It's called survival. They don't want you to kick them out of the pack. How many times has your dog as a puppy ever chewed something up and came back an hour later and like, hey, you know what? I really shouldn't have chewed that pillow up. I know you got that at 
you know, Pier 1, and I'm so sorry I did that. It doesn't happen. I mean, your dog may be smart, but it doesn't have a moral compass in it. When it bows its head, because it doesn't want you to kick it in the tail. God places something in humanity that is above all creation. And so my point is this. That because God gives us this spiritual and moral compass, he puts something in us that's different from all creation. It is to be held to the highest esteem. Listen to what God says in, in Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 and 27. It's the story of creation. Listen. He said, so then God said, let us make human beings in our image to be like us. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. What does it mean to be made in God's image? Does it mean our physical attributes? No. Character. It gives us the ability to love. The ability, listen, you may have never thought of this, and this is going to be that revelational moment, but so God made the earth in the six days, on the seventh day he rested. We have the ability to make choices like God does. We have the ability to see things. We have the ability to smell things. We have the ability to feel things. Being made in the image of God is about the character and attributes, not the physical details. So he says, let us make human beings in our image to be like us. They will reign over the fish in the sea. Here God is, some of the translations call it giving us dominion. They will reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, the livestock, all the wild animals on the earth, and the small animals that scurry along the ground, verse 27. So listen, so God created us, human beings, in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female. He created them. Here we see in this scripture that God gives us something above all other creation. And it's so important that we value it. That we treasure it. That we take care of it. So what we see then is if God is the creator of all, if we're made in His image, then every life matters to God. Every life matters to God. The people that you don't like, Jesus died for. Listen, I've got a, there's a, I've shared this story before, but when I was 13, uh, my cousin and his mom were brutally murdered by a man. Jesus died, and he's spending life in prison, and Jesus died for that man as well. One of the greatest problems in the church today, the capital C church, God never let it be here at this church, is that we find comfort in pointing out the speck in somebody else's eye while not acknowledging the log in our own. So you feel better about your sins because they don't look like your neighbors. But when you compare yourself to a holy God, you have nothing but filthy rags to offer him. All lives matter to God. Every life matters to God. Even the IRS people who will drive you crazy... Jesus loves them too, okay? Even the people that came up with the photo enforcement cameras, that thing drives me crazy. But I know that Jesus loves that person as well. It's so important that we understand, let me say this, all lives matter to God. Anytime we interfere with that, we are disrupting the cycle of life. Now, I've shared with some of our team about which direction I'm going this morning in this message, and maybe right now some of you can, you can begin to sense where this is turning and you're thinking, don't do it, Pastor. Don't go there. 
I was studying a scripture this week. I'm telling you, it's, just, it's done something to me. It's done something to me. Ephesians, we don't have this on the screen. You can write it down. Ephesians 5.11. Paul's writing to the church in Ephesus there. And he's talking about living in the light. And he says, Do not practice or participate in darkness, yet expose it. And church, you need to hear me. There is some darkness going on in our great state of Tennessee, in our nation, and in the world. See, science believes that there was a bunch of elements, carbon, and different things. There was this big bang, and we went from an atom to atom. But the reality is, is we went from God the Father to Adam. Does that make sense? They think we went from this Adam to Adam, but what we must understand, church, what we are going to dive into now is that God is the creator of life. God is the creator of life. Listen to what the psalmist said in Psalm 139, verse 13. He said, you made all the delicate inner parts of my body and knit me together in my mother's womb. Someday, David, your sweet baby will read that verse. God knits us together in the womb. And when we disrupt that, we are blatantly opposing the will of God for life. I want to share something before we get going, because I want you to know, sir, this message is heavy on my heart this morning. And I think if you've been here once, you would agree that I am very open-minded in terms of not judgmental, not callous, not hard-hearted. I'm very open to things. We're here at this church. I'm not condoning this or approving this, so don't go out tonight and all this week and be like, hey, my pastor said it's cool, go do this, but we're not going to argue if you drink here. It go, there's scriptures either way. If you smoke cigarettes, we don't think you're going to hell here. If you miss church, I may post something about you subconsciously on Facebook, but I do not think that you're going to hell if you don't come. But what I'm saying is, I don't, there's not really one thing that I don't feel like you've ever heard me just bash people on, because that's, I, I feel like the New Testament is about God's love, redemption for man. But there is this one thing that I feel like we must stand up for. I, I could be wrong, I could be right, but I feel like my generation, and I, I may be wrong on this, speaking for those in my generation, but I feel like one of the, one of the greatest tragedies that I can, growing up hearing, and even you know, till a decade ago or till we started this war, was I remember hearing about the Vietnam troops that came home and how they were mistreated. Anybody? I mean, it's probably older in my generation. I, I certainly, I know that. I wasn't in Vietnam. Though that's how I picked up my wife. I told her I was in Nam. She was like, really? I was like, yeah. No, I'm kidding. But what an injustice, because like, I've served in the military. I have friends who served in the military, and I remember thinking, Jesus, you're spitting on, you spit on these troops as they came back? I mean, like, listen, you may not agree with why they're fighting, but support them. Do you know that we're here today because someone gave their life? You do know that, right? And I remember thinking, and even now, it's just, I mean, thank God that Americans have rallied around our troops this past decade. Now, I know a lot of people don't agree with the war, and that's okay. But, I mean, love our troops. Love our troops. Support them. 
And so uh, it does me so good to see how our culture has changed because I remember hearing like, you know, they, they weren't welcomed. They were sped on when they came on. I'm thinking, my God, what an injustice is what my generation felt like. And you probably did too, some of you. But let me tell you what my kids, Jamie, what your kids, Brian, your kid, your baby and grandbabies, the biggest injustice when they, 30 years from now, 40 years from now, when they are our age, they're going to say, good Lord, why did you not raise your voice over abortion? Why? If the psalmist said that in my innermost parts you knit me together in my mother's womb, Jesus, church, what are we doing? What are we doing? What I love about what Paul said there in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 through 11, he lists some of these things drunkard and uh, abusive. And he's not just talking about being uh, physically abusive. He's talking about also being like a verbally, verbally abusive. There's also, there's a word in there, some translations use called a swindler, which is also what we call a gossip. How many Christians have you ever heard about riding up to Washington, D.C. and protesting those who are gospers? We just pick and choose what we want, right? Nobody's raising hell up there about all the gossip they're talking about. It's the truth. It's the truth. And I know it is and you know it is. You can't be picking and choosing. But if we are going to choose one thing, it's that God is the creator of life and all lives matter. And it is an injustice if we do not speak up. It is. It is. All lives matter to God. Listen, all lives matter to God and He can take any life. A broken life, a fragile life. You're going to hear a story in a little bit of someone who's experienced abortion and He can take that life and make it a beautiful thing. All lives matter to God. So this is not to, this, is, this message is not to condemn women who have made that decision or men who have given their girlfriends money to go make that decision. It's to simply say, lives matter to Jesus. You need to know this. Your life matters to Jesus. It matters to me and it matters to this church. And we will voice, we will voice with boldness that what is happening is wrong. Is wrong. Planned Parenthood, who's the leading abortion clinic in the United States, according to their own numbers, this is from 2013, they aborted 898 babies a day. Just that one. That equals 96, a baby every 96 seconds. You've been here for 47 minutes, except for some of you stragglers who came in late. You do the math. Currently, there are over 3,000 abortions that happen a day, every day in the United States alone. So, this is one of the most common things, like, and I get asked this a lot because of, I think because I'm a pastor, and, I, and, and just, I think also because I'm a Christ follower, but probably because I have the label of being a pastor, which I love, but they say, what about, I'm just, we're just being honest this morning, okay? What about women who get raped? 
What about incest? Should they not have the ability to? For everybody that's physically here and everybody that will be listening to this podcast, you must know that I am so sorry that has ever happened to you. It's a terrible thing for a woman to experience such tragedy. However, listen to this. Why women have the abortions, have abortions. It is only, it's less than 1% of all abortions occur because of rape or incest. And I know, listen, I don't even want to seem insensitive because I don't, but I want you to know this, that God is the creator of life and he can take any life and make it extraordinary. Amen. 6% of abortions occur because of potential health problems regarding either the mother or the child. And I, I don't want to be sensitive. And I don't, listen, this is not about me being legalistic. Because if you've been here more than once, or if you've been here five minutes today, I'm not a legalistic. I'm not. I'm a realist. But I love Jesus. And so what I'm fixing to say is not about legalism. It's just about the God's honest truth. I know this for a fact, and I know several other women. My wife would have gladly given her life for our babies to be born. She would have. She would have. Here's the most heartbreaking statistic. 93% of all abortions occur for social reasons, i.e. the child was inconvenient. So listen, at what gestational ages are abortions performed? More than half, 52% of all abortions occur before the ninth week of pregnancy. 25% happen between the ninth and tenth week. 12% happen between the eleventh and twelfth week. 6% happen between the thirteenth and fifteenth week. And then 4% happen between the sixteenth and twentieth week. Listen to this. And 1% of all abortions, which doesn't sound like a lot, but that's 16,450 a year, happen at 20 weeks or later. Do you know that a baby born with, at 21 weeks, at 20 weeks, with some good care in ICU can live? Jesus. Do you know, let me tell you something. 50, every state in America has what we call these animal protection rights. So, Reagan, if me and you get together and we start a dog fighting ring in my backyard and I get caught by the police, I can be fined severely and go to prison. Any Michael Vick fans in here, football NFL guy, it happened to him, honestly. It's the same thing. I mean, he was a millionaire and it happened to him. So, like, we have these rights protect, you know, these animals are protected from us. Now, let me tell you what is absolutely insane and an injustice. 38 states have what we call fetal homicide law. So, let's say this. A 19-year-old girl is on her way to the abortion clinic to have an abortion for whatever reason. And let's say she's driving there on a Saturday morning. A drunk driver T-bones her. And she survives, but it kills the baby. In 38 states, that man or woman that hit her can be charged with involuntary, uh, involuntary manslaughter, be pro- prosecuted, and spend time in prison. As well, he or she should. Let me tell you what's freaking crazy, though. That same 19-year-old girl that's pregnant... Let's say that that drunk driver hits the car behind her and she makes it onto the abortion clinic for $451 average cost in America she can have that baby aborted. Church, do you see that that is an injustice? Do you see it? Why voices must be raised. It's not to hate these women. It's to love on them, to show them the love of Christ. 
It's an injustice, and we are wrong if we do not speak up. This is, this is one of those messages I feel I could really cause people to like frown on me, but I just, this, I've decided this week, and I've, had, I've asked some of our leadership team and our band last week, just pray for me, because I don't really give a rip, honestly. I just don't. I don't. So listen to this. At six weeks gestation, how many parents in here? Your parents. Listen, if you, you're, listen you're a parent, okay? That baby's alive in you. First doctor's visit you go to when, you, when women have, think they're pregnant, I guess, for the best way to say that. What do you hear? Boom, boom. It's just like a little bean in there, isn't it? But you hear that heartbeat. It's crazy. It's amazing. Amazing. Six weeks. The nose, the, the, nose, the, nose, the mouth, and ears that you'll, that you'll spend so much time kissing in eight months are beginning to take shape. If you could see into your uterus, you'd find an oversized head. That's what me and my baby boy Jude have, an oversized head. It, for, for us, it didn't go away. You'd find an oversized head and dark spots where your baby's eyes and nostrils are starting to form. His emerging ears are marked by small depressions on the sides of his head and his arms and legs by protruding buds. His heart is beating about 100 to 160 times a minute, almost twice as fast as yours. And blood is beginning to course through his body. His intestines are developing and the bud of tissue that will give rise to his lungs has appeared. His pituitary gland is forming as are the rest of his brain muscles and bones. That's at six weeks old. There's a lot going on there in the womb, right? But remember who's in control. The one who's knitting it together. Listen at nine weeks gestation. Her essential body parts are accounted for. Though they'll go through plenty of fine-tuning in the coming months, other changes abound. Your baby's heart finishes dividing into four chambers. The valves start to form, as do her tiny teeth. The embryonic tail is completely gone, so it no longer looks like a tadpole. That's basically what that is. Your baby's organs, listen, your baby's organs, muscles, and nerves are kicking into gear. The external sex organs are there, but won't be distinguishable as a male or female for another few weeks, but God knows. You can't see it yet, but God knows. Her eyes are fully formed, but her eyelids are fused shut and won't open until 27 weeks. She has tiny earlobes, earlobes, and her mouth, nose, and nostrils are more distinct. The placenta is developed enough now to take over most of the critical job of producing hormones. That's that nine weeks gestation. Can I tell you something that ought to make every person in here cringe if you have any conscience at all in you? And you do because God has given you a moral and spiritual compass. At nine weeks old, it's been reported by Planned, uh, Planned Parenthood executives. At nine weeks old, this, it's stated that a, a nervous system is very well functioning in a baby at nine weeks old. Uh, one, plan, one planned parenthood executive said that she witnessed during an abortion as they were performing it, that at nine weeks old, the baby recalled from the pain that it felt. Is that murder? Is that murder? What are we doing? What are we doing? What are we doing? What are we doing? So the question then is this. When does life begin? Can I just be honest with you? When the sperm and egg meet. Ask any 16-year-old boy or 16-year-old girl or man or woman who's ever bought a condom before sex and they'll tell you they know when life begins. 
Am I preaching? Am I preaching? Am I preaching? Listen to this. This lady's named Mary Elizabeth Williams. She's a writer. She's an author. On Wednesday, January 23rd, 2013, at 10.43 a.m., she published an article with a setting, So What If Abortion Ends Life? She then wrote underneath it, I believe that life starts at conception. And it's never stopped me from being pro-choice. Now, I want you to hear what she says right here, okay? This is a part of her article. Here's the complicated reality in which we live. All life is not equal. That's a difficult thing for liberals like me to talk about, lest we wind up looking like death panel loving, kill your grandma and your precious baby stormtroopers. Yet a fetus can be a human life without having the same rights as the woman in whose body it resides. You think that's true? You think that's true? Men or women, you go prostitute your bodies over in Knoxville and tell me how that works out for you. Tell me you have rights over your body. I got a better idea for you. Just don't let me see it. You strip down naked in the parking lot out here and do 95 miles an hour going down Charles Severs Boulevard and let me know what happens. Tell me if you have rights over your body. Jesus. Yet a fetus can be a human life without having the same rights as the woman in whose body it resides. She's the boss. Her life and what is right for her circumstances and her health should automatically trump the rights of the non-autonomous entity inside of her always. Do you know what that sounds like in the 21st century? That sounds like Adolf Hitler in Nazi Germany. All, all lives are not equal? Listen, life begins at conception. Life begins when the sperm and the egg meet. The next rational question is this. If that's when life begins, for the sake of learning, when does the soul enter the body? When does the soul enter a body? Look at Genesis chapter 5, verse 1. This is the written account of the descendants of Adam. When God created human beings, who created them? God. He made them to be like himself. Verse 2. He created them male and female, and he blessed them and called them human. Verse 3. When Adam was 130 years old, could you imagine having a kid that old? I mean, that's pretty crazy, right? He became the father of a son who, look, was just like him. In his very image. Now you don't really see it, but you gotta understand the bigger picture is this is that as soon as conception happens, the soul is passed into a body. When someone dies, you miss them physically, but what do you miss most? Their voice. What they say, how they made you feel, their soul. Soul happens when we are conceived it's not like out here floating around some other galaxy and God like yanks one and just I have to give this one it's passed on now listen here this is Job 14.4 Job says this he says who can bring purity out of an impure person no one now the context is this how many of you and if they're sitting beside you just that's fine how many of you had a sinful a dad who sinned or sins some of y'all have perfect fathers that's incredible amazing I'd love to meet them. How many of you have a mom who sins or has sinned? 
let's do some basic math here. When you have a sinful father and a sinful mother and they do their business and get pregnant, what do you think they give birth to? A sinful baby. Now, so the point is this. He's saying, so all right, who can bring purity out of an impure person? The bigger picture is this, is that what is in the mother and father is immediately passed on to the baby. Does that make sense? Make sense? Listen to what David says, the psalmist, in, in Psalm 51.5. He said, For I was born a sinner, yes, from the moment my mother, say it with me, conceived me. From the moment my mother conceived me. Life begins at conception. I want to share something with you that I think is so important that you, that, you, that you don't miss here. That God can take any life, no matter what it is, and make it extraordinary. God wants to take your life and make it extraordinary. I was very fortunate this week to spend some time with a very brave woman, with a woman who I feel like loves Jesus, who was bold enough to share her story. And let this be the overarching theme as we, as we watch this video for a moment. That God can take any life, no matter what your mistakes are, no matter what you've done, no matter what kind of problems you have, no matter what you're facing, He can take any life and make it an extraordinary life. My name is Maria Middleton, and this is my story. My story begins when I made the decision to have an abortion. And that was my choice. It changed things for me because I, I made the, those decisions and the result of the decisions that caused me to faint, feel the pain and the shame and the guilt that I felt after three abortions. That's, that's big. That's a lot. That's resulted in four deaths of four, four babies. That changed me just with the pain and the shame that I carried around with me. It changed, it changed me inside. I can re remember being nine years old and being dropped off with my brothers and sisters with our clothes and garbage bags, and that's when the feeling of abandonment set in. And that's where it carried on for years with um, with being abandoned, with being um, no direction. The family just completely broke apart. And my siblings and I, my siblings and I learned to deal with life whatever way it came at us. And we started to deal with life um, full speed with, uh, with no direction. And um, mother turning into a drug addict and father just not wanting nothing to do with us, just being forced to take care of these kids by having us dropped off. And so uh, my siblings and I uh, didn't have any guidance. We did whatever we wanted. We uh, hung out with whoever we wanted, and nobody told us what we could or couldn't do.
and I definitely was determined to not be pregnant anymore. comes in to tell me that I was, that he had to tell me that I had two. And I lost it immediately after that, just with the knowing that there was two and that I felt betrayed. I felt that they knew and that they didn't tell me for whatever reason, but I felt betrayed and I felt more, more pain for two babies because that's a blessing and two I definitely didn't feel like it was a blessing to me but to have two just added to my number of pain and my number of my level of guilt so it was I was angry I was betrayed and angry felt betrayed angry and and guilt is set in for sure for for having had three abortions that would have resulted in four babies, but I, it was the result of four deaths. So that changed things for me. It was a change. I began to, I definitely told myself that this wasn't gonna happen again. I wasn't gonna be, I was not gonna become pregnant ever. It wasn't gonna happen. Because that was not, I was not going to make that decision again. When I left that place, I told myself, you're not doing this no more. I couldn't. The way that it made me feel inside after leaving that place, at my heart, I told myself, you're not doing this. You're not, you're not going there anymore. And I was determined to not do it. I told myself, you're not doing it. So after I um, had my third abortion, I moved to 500 miles away to Tennessee a couple months after that. And this was a fresh start for me. I was going to start school. Me and my kids were going to be in a better place, and it was just going to be a new life for us. It was going to be a new experience. We've never been anywhere ever before. That's just all we knew. And so we, I was ready to move on and leave that behind and just start over with whatever starting over was. It wasn't that any of that. And I came here and my husband, my now husband, the father of my daughter, moved here shortly after me. And we started to, um, we started to read a book that led us to a church one time. We were led to a church and we started attending church on a regular basis. And we, they talked about having a relationship with Jesus and 
that he would forgive us of all of our sins and just this brand new this new Jesus that I'd never heard of that I only I heard of him but I didn't I only knew of him on a cross and he was this person that was the judge he was a person in authority but never not a relationship not that he can live with you live inside of you and he forgives you and he loves you but I wanted it we wanted it Yes, I, I believe that he forgave me, but I didn't understand how he, he could forgive me for that one topic, that issue, that the abortions. I didn't see how he could forgive me for that. I found freedom in this new experience, but I didn't necessarily understand how he could forgive me for such a, a terrible thing for, for the decision of abortion after abortion, after abortion, I couldn't get. And then the number also, the the number of times that I continued to make that choice that I made, just didn't, didn't, I couldn't get past that point. In my own, in, within myself, I couldn't get past that. I couldn't forgive myself for those decisions. And I definitely didn't grasp that he had forgiven me for that terrible decision that I knew he created. I knew that there was a God and that God was the creation of life and that I had messed with a plan of his. That he paid that ultimate price for me already. I understood the level of forgiveness that one time that he, that he paid the price in full, completely. I was able to re- understand it and receive his forgiveness for everything. Yeah, yeah. God God is so good. God is so good and he is faithful and just to forgive us and I think it's why it's important that we understand that God can take any life. No matter the decision you've made and you need to know this and Maria is actually here this morning, and, I, and I'm so grateful that for her honesty and transparency. But this man, Jesus, that man, Jesus, he can take any life and make it extraordinary. Do you believe that? Yeah, let's celebrate. One of the greatest verses in the New Testament that talks about why Jesus came, what was part of his purpose. John 10 10. Jesus said that a thief, the devil, comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. How many of you know the devil wants to steal your joy today, this very day? He wants to to kill your dreams. He wants to destroy your plans. He wants to put bad thoughts in your head about this church, about your your employer, your, 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 your spouse, your children. But look what Jesus said. He said, I have come so that they, those of us who are in Christ, you might as well just, I like to put my name here. I've come so that Peyton, I've come so that Dustin, may have life and have it in abundance. And I'm going to be honest with you, moving forward this day, y'all just go ahead and take it from me. Just no need to wait. Let's get this party started. 
that we don't need to walk around mopey and sad and pissed off all the time about what we don't have. I mean, our Savior, He came so that we could have life and have it in abundance. And I'll be honest with you. We don't walk in that victory. Let me tell you one of the most amazing things about Maria's story. And I don't know if this video captured it. What was the love that she's experienced from the Father. I mean, like, it was desirable for me. And what I know is this, is that we never will experience in its perfection until we are glorified in heaven. But a lot of us, I'm talking to everybody in here, we're missing out on something that God wants for us, and that is to have life and have it abundantly. A thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus said, I have come that they may have life and have it in abundance. That does not matter. Listen, here's, here's something you need to know today, that you cannot outsend God's grace. You cannot outsend His grace. Paul says, where sin is found, grace abounds. Should we continue in sin now? Absolutely not. But rejoice that there is. Rejoice that there is that He came to have blessings poured out over us, that He was our blessing as He hung from the cross. He, he took our place. And Jesus, this Jesus came so that we could have life and life abundantly. Today, you may not have had an abortion. You may not have contributed to one. Maybe you have. Maybe you, you can relate to Maria. But maybe you've aborted a dream. You've given up on a life that you wanted that God had for you. You've given up on a relationship. Jesus wants you to have it and have it abundantly. Can we just celebrate that good news today? Can you stand with us? There's an army rising up. There's an Chain, to break every chain, to break every chain.